Uh, good morning, uh, Merlin. Uh, I'm Eric Roth. I'm CEO of a Canadian company called Capella Minerals. Um, we are basically a, a junior explorer and developer. We do have a focus on both gold and copper as our key commodities. And uh, our geographical focus uh, up until now, or certainly at the present day, uh, is Scandinavia. We do have some projects in Norway, uh, Sweden, and also Finland. And we do have some uh, two gold joint ventures in Canada too. Uh, which are being run in parallel by our joint venture partners. But I guess um, sort of as a key introduction, our, our main commodities are gold and copper, and uh, we basically are in the process of pushing uh, a very high-quality uh, portfolio of projects through to drilling and uh, then on to discovery. So, so that's kind of where we are at the moment. Eric, thank you. Thanks for the introduction. Good to meet you too. Um, so I've seen your your pivot from North America into Scandinavia. That's That's really interesting. Norway... Sweden and Finland, um, and you're, it looks as if you're approaching drilling in Norway, and you've just done this deal on Finland. And to me, it just seems as if kind of Sweden's kind of the, the third in line, kind of coming behind. Um, <clears throat> could you just kind of give us a um, quick overview of kind of what you what you've been doing for the last few months in Scandinavia, and kind of the rationale for the the Finland deal in particular? Sure, Merlin. So, um, so your listeners might be aware that about a year ago, we did a deal to pick up uh, two copper projects in Norway. Uh, one is called Sholi and the other one is called Lokken. Um, and what we found very attractive with these projects is these are former mining districts. So, so keeping in mind that these were high-grade copper districts that have been in production for literally hundreds of years, particularly in the case of Lokken, uh, they actually opened in the mid, I'll say, 1600s. Uh, they were in production for about 300 years, they, and, and essentially what they mined was very high-grade copper, zinc, with some gold and silver credits as well, too. Um, and, of course, all the mines in Norway closed in the mid-1980s for two reasons. One is that, uh, obviously, copper prices in the mid-1980s were very low. So, you know, we were talking about copper prices at 60 cents a pound, whereas now we're, we're north of $4. Uh, and the other thing that happened, of course, was the discovery of oil. I mean, oil generated so much money for, for Norway that they just literally walked away from the mining project. So, so essentially what you have is, um, you know, the, these are fantastic projects in the sense of um, these are former mining districts. They're, they're a great combination of brownfields or, or near mine exploration plus greenfields exploration. There's a number of satellite deposits that really haven't been worked up. And our focus is to, to, to really move those forward. And uh, um, so, so it's a great opportunity for the company. And again, the focus on high-grade copper in those two projects. Um, and, and the most advanced at the moment is the Sholey project. And that's just going into, it's gone into permitting uh, now. And we do expect to be able to drill there uh, early in the new year, say from February uh, onwards. Now, um, but, but let, let's stick with Norway. So I asked the question sure, about Norway and, and Norway and Finland, but let's 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 stick with Norway since we're on it. Um, how is operating in in Norway? Because I I did some exploration up in Sweden and we looked at a few projects in Norway and it was just it was just quite hard going. Um, um, obviously, you know their wealth comes from oil, and now they're feeling terribly guilty about this. And uh, as a nation, they've kind of gone into uh, this kind of super eco world um how have you found mm -hmm. um, um I, I i i didn't go into norway i didn't we didn't spend a lot of time looking at stuff there mm -hmm. so i don't actually know um what what the reality is like on the ground could you give me a kind of a bit of color and a, on how the norwegians view their mining industry now sure and it's a very valid question and we get that from a lot of a lot of 
of investors just because Norway is not that well known in mining circles because obviously, you know, these projects have been dormant for 40 years. And in fact, most of Norway's mining industry has been dormant for 40 years. So what you're seeing now is really a resurgence of a resurgence of companies operating. You're now seeing more projects at the expiration stage. And in fact, you've just seen one new mine called Nusir get its, its, its permits for construction. So, um, but in terms in terms of our specific projects, uh, Merlin, what, what really does uh, uh, help us in the areas that we operate, that the, these are former mines. So these are mines that were, these are mining districts. Um, you know, a lot of people there remember the mines. In fact, a lot of people had grandfathers. They had family that worked in the mines. Um, and of course, a lot of the infrastructure from the old mines is still there. So it's obviously a part of the, the, the culture. People understand it. And, and, the, and in this particular case, they also understand um, that the country and, and Europe needs copper, uh, and that's exactly what these things provided. They provided specifically copper and zinc, uh, but also with some gold silver credits. So, so people are very pragmatic in the sense of um, what does help in this particular case. They are former mining districts, so we're not talking about, you know, these are areas that do have a tradition of mining, and people understand it, and they understand why it needs to be done. And as I, as I mentioned, with that whole group, and the copper uh, being very important. Um, I, 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 I hear you, and I know that. But um, sometimes in 40 years' time, you know, the, the, the institutions that, are, that give you the drilling permit, they might lose people. So you, you, you probably have people that have never issued a drilling permit before for an exploration company. And when they, you know, they used to oil wells, which is huge capex and huge water flow. And, you know, at the institutional level, you know, do you have people that understand what an exploration program is? You know, are they frightened about a... Um, a diamond drill hole or do they say oh we know what diamond drilling is you know what what level of um you know how how easy is it going to be for you to get a drilling permit is it going to actually going to come in february or might it be a few months or six months or a year later yeah so and, and it's a very valid uh, question and, and in fact uh, just as a general comment on norway i mean just to echo those sentiments if you look at norway demographically um, you know, most people in Norway that are younger than 40 don't even remember that Norway had a mining industry, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but what we do see is there's still, is some, there, you know, there is still some of the old people obviously recognize that the mines were there. Um, and we have seen a lot of support, even at the institutional level and, and certainly the community level. So, um, so, so far, I mean, everything that we've applied for, we've, we, we've been granted. Um, of course, I, I think our big ask or our big task, I should say, as mining companies is we also need to uh, spend a lot of time uh, uh, well, just telling people or, or letting people know that mining in 2021 is obviously very different to what it was, you know, 50 or 100 years ago, right? So, and, that, and that's an educational exercise that we also need to take to the community too. So they realize that, you know, mining isn't what it was 50 or 100 years ago. Uh, it's changed. It's, it's, it's much cleaner. It's much more efficient. It's obviously much safer for, for people working in the mines too. So um, so part and parcel of this whole process. So, so I guess that was a roundabout way of saying we have had a lot of support from the institutions. We've had a lot of support from the communities. But the second part of that equation is that it's also up to us to show that mining in 2021 is much more responsible than it was 50 or 100 or more years ago. I, I completely agree. But coming back to the permits, I, I, you know, is, is, it, is February realistic or is it likely to be six months? Yeah. So what happens, uh, Merlin, is, is so there's two things that need to be done. One is that landowners or landholders need to be notified of drilling or, or any, in fact, any any work and there's a 60 day period for that. So what happens is we go into this process where on the one hand, we advise landholders and, and, and thankfully, 
the good thing in the case of Sholey is that it's all government land anyway that the, the, the project is sitting on. So we don't need to deal with individual uh, private landowners. Um, and, and then the second thing, of course, is the, the general permit from the, uh, the mining bureau, so or the mining directorate. So, um, so both of those and both of those have a 60 day clock on it. And, and, and as, a, as I mentioned, I mean, everybody that we've spoken to in the district, they're all for it. Um, so we don't expect any issues. But of course, there is always a risk in the permitting stage. But, but as I mentioned, I think a key thing from our side is obviously that communication from our side in terms of complete transparency. This is what we plan to do. This is what the, 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 you know, the goals for the projects are. And so the people are aware of what we're doing. I think that, you know, obviously from our side, the communication and all of that ESG is absolutely critical to, um, to, to get, uh, you know, sort of to manage. Um, and we are actually going through that ESG process at the moment so that we basically have a rating and we are in that ESG uh, so that people know that we are compliant. We will look after the environment, communities and also, um, you know, all the social issues as well that could potentially pop up. So, um, so from our side, obviously being proactive and discussing with communities and, and, and authorities is absolutely key for taking these things forward. And um, how much drilling do you plan to do at uh, Sholi? What are you looking at? Is it a few thousand metres? Um, um, are, are you uh, extending the original pod? Um, can you tell me a bit about the exploration in the area? Yeah, have, you sure. got kind of, um, have you generated your targets through mag and geophysics, uh, through, through geology? Uh, what size are the clusters? You know, give, Correct, give, yeah. me a bit of, give me a bit of detail, please. So in the specific case, uh, Merlin, of, of Sholey, so it's actually a 20-kilometre-long belt of, which has a number of massive sulphide occurrences along it. There were two historical mines, one which was the old Sholey mine itself. The second one was a mine called Schillingdale. And Schillingdale um, was actually, the, I, I think it was probably the deepest uh, copper mine in all of Europe. It got down to about 1.4 kilometres. So these were quite significant operations. These weren't, you know, just little workings on surface. Um, so what we've really been doing is a combination of targeting this year where we, we, we did an initial targeting over the last winter, which came up with about 26 areas of, of high priority for us. Then in the summer, because that's a lot of targets to be drilling at, at once, we said, okay, what can we do to improve the confidence on those targets? So we did some extra work, a gravity survey, some more soil geochem, and, and where we ended up is we've now got to sort of eight or 10, which we consider the best of the best, the, the highest priority targets on Sholey, which are now going through permitting. Uh, and the plan, what we are basically assuming is, is an initial 5,000 metres of drilling, so that's roughly... Uh, 25 holes at 200 meters a piece. So, so that would be sort of the initial test of uh, what I'd say is the, the the highest priority targets that we have within that 20 kilometer long belt. So, but it is a it is a large area, and we have taken the time. But I think the investment in time has been worthwhile, just because, as I mentioned, initially we had 26 targets, which is a which is a hard ask to to test all of them right off the bat. So, so we did that extra work during the summer here to really just give us that extra level of confidence um, in picking the best of the best. So, so that's the plan for early next year is to, to tackle those, drill those eight or 10 highest priority targets. And you mentioned gravity, of course, um, gravity and VMS are, you know, they're, they're proven, proven test um, methods for testing or kind of targeting these, these kinds of ore bodies because they're dense relative to everything else around them. Um, what, what was that a um, ground gravity survey? Um, I, I know that the kind of the corrections on, on the kind of modern equipment is just so much better than it has been in the past. Um, the, the kind of the errors that one can get. Um, it, what, what's, what's the topography? Because you know, the, the, in gravity, topography can kind of introduce a great deal of complexity. Um, yeah. And did you manage to do gravity over all 26 of your areas? And is it, are you targeting your eight best gravity anomalies or is it Gossens at surface? You know, what, what's the, 
what's the gating process, the, the, the combined um, coincident anomalies that lead you to those top eight? And maybe just to introduce the, this, this subject, interestingly, um, in, in spite of the fact, as you mentioned, this is typical exploration, uh, it's, it's a typical exploration technique for massive sulfides in other parts of the world. As far as we're aware, it's the first time it's ever been tried in Norway, which, which for us was a bit of a surprise, because to me, it's one of these things that you, you should just do, because as you mentioned, it picks up high density bodies, which we would expect to be massive sulfides. Now, um, the, basically, the area that we covered, we covered about 68 square kilometers of, of the property, which basically means that of those 26, we probably covered about, I'll, I'll say, 18 or 20 of them. So this is sort of the, these are the main targets that sit along that 20 kilometer uh, stretch. There's a few others that are off to the side as well. Um, but really, we've probably looked at about 20 of those original uh, targets mm. and, and narrowed those down to eight or 10, which we which we feel have the best potential uh, for, for new discoveries here. So, um, but as I say, it, it, no, the gravity's never been tried before in Norway. So, so for us, it was, a, I think, it was a great thing to do. And uh, and you mentioned topography too. One of the other advantages of Sholey too is that it's it's a very flat project. It's at about a thousand meters altitude. It's above the tree line, but it's fairly flat. So we, we don't have any forests up there either. Uh, there's no people living up there, or very few. Uh, in the district, and uh, you know, so it's it's just one of those areas. It's actually very, it's a, actually a pleasure to work there from a, from an exploration perspective. And any outcrop? I mean, how much glacial till have you got, or can you see some of the gossens? What yeah? You know, what's the what's the the landscape like? Yeah, so some of the gossens do uh, are exposed on surface, and and that's obviously you know to me they're sort of the obvious targets. I mean, the things that you know they're sort of no brainers. We we will go up and drill those. Uh, but I guess what we were really looking at, what we were looking for in this geophysical work was really some of the deeper targets because, um, as you know, two things happen in these massive sulfide systems and you're very familiar with these systems. So, um, you know, one is that they typically occur in clusters. So where you find one, you will typically find others. But the other thing is too, um, a lot of the work has just been superficial because the, the, the old time is just focused on the old mines. They really didn't do much on any of these, these satellite deposits, if you like. So, so, so we see lots of potential to grow these at depth because not much work has been done on them. And, and in fact, a lot of these Goss and outcrops um, have no drilling on them. So, so it really is quite extraordinary to have that situation. Very little work has been done on it. You can see there's been a few surface scratchings, you know, guys have been sort of, you know, squirreling around, but there hasn't been much work done. And, 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 and any drilling that has been done in that general district has been very shallow, like, you know, 20 meter holes kind of thing. It was really just geochemical prospecting more than anything else. So, so uh, you know, I think there's really extraordinary opportunity there for us to follow some of these um, surface occurrences and, and, and chase them down a depth. I think there's some really good opportunities there. So if you've got 25 holes and eight targets, simple maths, it's kind of three three holds in each of them with one getting four. Yeah, that's correct. And, and that would be the, I, I think the idea is obviously uh, because of the scale of the project, obviously we're not going to be able to test everything with 5,000 meters. I, I think that, you know, for us, a, a really key point is to is to show the concept, prove the concept in terms of that we have the grade, we have the size potential. Um, you know, I, I think in these districts, I mean, really what we're looking for is sort of 10 plus million tons of, of mineralized uh, material. So, um, you know, at, at these kind of grades, keeping in mind that all of these mines were two plus percent copper, they were all 2% zinc, um, gold and silver. The other thing that we've also uh, noticed too, Melbourne, with our sampling, and this is something that's never been done before, is that there's, there's quite high 
cobalt values too in some of this mineralization. So obviously that's one thing that we'll, we'll, we'll track as we go forward as well. But reality is uh, for, for this initial drill program, really for us, it's proof of concept showing that we have the grade and that we have the size potential that we need to get to the 10 plus million tons, which is really what we've said as a, which to my view is sort of the, the, the target we should be looking for uh, for a new mine. I mean, that's uh, at, at, the, at these grades. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, although if you, I mean, uh, it's uh, absolutely appropriate to aim for 10 million tons, but you can make still make money on two, three or four or five million tons, but aim, aim, for, the, aim, 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 aim for 10, aim for 10. Um, that's exactly what we're doing yeah, exactly absolutely yeah, yeah. good um okay so it's more or less kind of by the middle of next year we'll have a much better idea on how successful you've been um just for my own benefit um or perhaps for viewers as well the structural complexity of these how deformed are these vms deposits um or are they i, I saw in one of your presentations there was a model oh, i think it was of locken which actually looked relatively Underformed. I mean, there were small, you could see small normal faults in there, but essentially it was one coherent body. Correct, yeah. And, and it's a good question too, because as you mentioned, Locken has slightly different geology to Sholey. So, so Locken itself is a, is a big tabular body and it really is quite extraordinary when you see it. I mean, it's. I mean, it, it was four kilometers long. It basically daylighted on the eastern end and ended up a kilometer deep on the west. But it is essentially this four kilometer long tabular body. So, you know, with relatively little disturbance, uh, it, you know, within that. So, um, so Locken is a is a fairly uh, look. Nothing's ever really straightforward, but it's relatively straightforward in terms of the the, the geology. Uh, Sholey is a little bit more complex because we do have a lot of folding in the district, uh, so there is uh, that to take into account as well too. Um, and, and interestingly, for example, the old Schillingdale mine is actually in a fold nose, and it's actually a massive sulphide that um, you know. I guess this is one thing geologists can argue, you know, until the cows come home is you know what the timing of the mineralization was, but it does actually seem to sit in a fold nose, and it sits in the, the hinge of this fold and, and continues down at depth. So, so Sholey is just a little bit more complicated in the sense that we do have folding, but uh, it's still uh, relative. You know, it's still very manageable. Uh, Lockin is fairly straightforward in terms of they're just tabular bodies that that haven't seen the same kind of deformation that we've seen at Sholey. Am I right in thinking that all the the, the five thousand meters is going to go into the Sholey um, area? And that Locken is going to come as a subsequent exploration phase. Yeah, that's correct. So, so, so what we did this summer is we looked at uh, as well as so Locken again is as I mentioned, it's sort of a combination of brownfields and greenfields exploration project. Um, so, what we did this summer, we looked at twenty-four satellite deposits that we know that sit around at Locken. So, um, you know, as I mentioned, these things do commonly occur in clouds. And, and very little work has been done on any of these satellite deposits. So, so while Locken itself is an interesting target in terms of finding extensions, initially we're not going to be drilling kilometre deep holes to look for down dip extensions. That's not the initial um, thing. So, so what we will be doing basically is we'll, we'll be focusing on these near surface things um, that are sitting around. And as I mentioned, we have done work on uh, about 24 of those. And the plan basically is to push those into permitting right on the back of, uh, of uh, Sholey here. Sorry, I'm, I'm getting confused. What's the distance between Sholey and, and Locken? Yeah, so they're about 100 kilometers apart on a map. So, so basically, Sholey is very close to the Swedish border. So it's in what they call the old Roros mining district. And Roros was one of the, there were really two famous historical mining camps in in uh, Norway, one was this Roros district, and Roros uh, uh, is about 20 kilometers away, uh, the actual town, and that used to be uh, used to be where they did the, the the processing in the old days for the ores that came from all the mines in that district. 
um, and, and Lochin is a separate district about 100 kilometers away to the west. So, um, so they were the two sort of, um, I guess, premier copper mining districts in Norway over the centuries. So. And you did your the, the gravity survey over the 68 square kilometers in Scholey over by the Swedish border. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you've got correct. you've got That's twenty correct. and you've got twenty four or so targets there, and you um you've reduced you you had twenty targets and you've reduced that to eight that you can be testing. Yeah, that's correct. So so the gravity helped reduce those that initial targeting we did. Uh, we originally had twenty six, uh, and we reduced it down to about eight or ten high priority ones. And then Lochen, which is the project a hundred kilometers to the west, uh, we had we did work on twenty four of those uh, targets around there. But basically, I, I think the key. Part of the story, without getting bogged down in detail, is there's lots of satellite occurrences that have seen very little work, and that's what we'll focus on as we go forward. So, okay, great. I've got it much clearer in my head now. Um, good. Now on to Finland. Um, you know, big game hunting. Yeah. So Finland. Um, so so uh, for people who followed the story, we we did this deal in August. And it turns out to be a, about a 200 square kilometer property that sits on what we call the Sitka thrust, which is part of the, the central Lapland greenstone belt. And for people who you know, have been watching that part of the world, they'll, they'll have seen a lot of activity over the last, I'll say, five years. Um, and you've seen some really good discoveries come out of there. You've seen, uh, you've seen Rupert Resources just recently announce a, an almost four million ounce resource from a new discovery called Ikari. You've got uh, uh, Orion is also very active there. You've got B2 Gold. Uh, of course, you have Agnigo Eagle, which has the Catilla mine, which is the biggest gold mine in Europe at the moment. They're producing about 200,000 ounces a year. Um, and, and the ground that we particularly have picked up, uh, so we did this deal with a, an Australian company called Cullen Resources. Um, they, of course, are an Australian-based company. had a lot of difficulties traveling with the COVID restrictions over the last 18 months. Um, and so we ended up doing a deal with them. It made sense to add it to our current portfolio in Norway and Sweden. Um, but again, the key thing is, and we did just put an update out uh, in the, uh, we did put a press release out just to update uh, advances there. But the, again, the, the the attractive thing for us in in this Finnish uh, property, we have a former operating mine within the. I guess uh, there's a we have the ground around that a mine called uh, Satapora, which was an old Udukumpu uh, gold copper mine. There's a number of copper and gold occurrences in this, and some great upside for making new discoveries here. So 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 you know. This is a really fantastic uh, piece of crust uh, from a geological perspective uh, on, on the global stage. And uh, and I think really Finland, uh, you know, when you compare it to other pre-Cambrian terrains around the world, has seen, you know, much less systematic exploration than, you know, if you look at the Yilgarn block in, in Western Australia or you look at uh, the Canadian Shield, um, it's seen a lot less exploration. So I think the potential for, you know, bringing some of these copper and gold showings into, into discovery, uh, I, I think it's it, there's a lot of potential there to still we tested so we're, we're very excited about what's uh, coming up in finland as well too what's your, what's your work program there for next year are you doing bottom of till sampling you, um you know what, what's what's the where's the major amount of money going to go yeah so initially the first thing we'll do merlin is um uh, so we're obviously of course we're in the middle of winter now so what we will do is uh, the very first thing we'll do is we'll we'll cover that we are just a, about to apply for permits for a, for a, a drone magnetic survey to cover the whole property that will really help us um yep. a, as you mentioned because all of this area is covered in this thin till, uh, the, I guess these high high resolution surveys are really the way to understand the bedrock geology the best. So, so that's probably a good starting point. If you look at all the big discoveries or recent discoveries, um, that's kind of the way they started by understanding first, you know, the geology under the tills, and then moving in to do those uh, that bottom of till sampling. And of course, um, and, and fortunately, an outcome 
case, uh, Merlin, there has actually been some historical work done with some great anomalies that came out, and, and we did mention that in the press release, that there, um, you know, we had one sector within the area that uh, over a decade ago, um, you know, some of that uh, bottom of till sampling came up with numbers like 0.5% copper, which is just unheard of in, in, in bottom of till sampling, right? So, um, you know, so so there's already some good anomalies defined, but of course, what we'll do is we'll under, we want to understand the bedrock geology first and then decide on those areas where we do more uh, bottom of till sampling. So, uh, and then the idea would be to bring these things uh, along the path to drilling as quickly as we can. But uh, I think it's a, it's a really prospective piece of crust and, and we're pretty excited about it too, so. And um, what status are the licenses? Because I'm I'm not entirely familiar, up to speed with the kind of the Finnish um, um, licensing system. But you can hold things under application for a couple of years, and then you have to convert it into an exploration license. Is that is that about right? Yes, that, that's correct, Merlin. So so the way the system works is the first of usually the reservation, what they call a reservation, where it basically it gives you priority over that area that you take. So so the first stage is a, is a reservation. Then you generally move into an exploration license application, and then that gets converted to, to a full exploration license. So um, the, the idea is that obviously um, holding ground in Finland can be quite expensive. Um, mm. and I, I, I mean, having said that, it does come with a lot of pluses, which you don't get in other countries. Um, but the advantage, of course, because a lot of that money actually goes to the landowner himself, so which is obviously a good thing from a from a community relations point of view. Uh, but generally, the strategy is to take the reservations over large areas, identify, be a bit more specific over which areas you want to take, and then apply for the exploration licenses. And in our particular case, the reservation that we have, which is Akanis, uh, that's valid until the end of 2022. So basically, we have a year to decide within that block which are the areas that we want to push forward um, and then move towards, uh, obviously, convert to expiration licenses and then move towards drilling. So, But you're right, it starts off with a, with a reservation, moves to an expiration license after that. So, okay, so you've, got a, you've got a crack on next year. And um, expiration in Finland isn't um, famously cheap. Um, you want to be well financed going into any, any in fact, any exploration in Scandinavia. Um, you want to have the, uh, you know, what's your conceptual budget? I, I've, I've noticed that you, as a company, you like to uh, run quite, you know, you're quite happy uh, touring around with not much petrol in your tank. Um, you, I think you'd be yeah, just the, obviously, just, just, you know, obviously, yeah, no, look, it's, it's, it's a good question. And obviously in a perfect world, we'd like to have, uh, you know, a big fat treasury, but uh, uh, right now we have enough to continue with the work we have planned. Um, so, uh, so, but just, a, just one comment on the cost. So, so, so I guess um, uh, one thing I will add on Finland, for example, is that there's a very deep, there's a lot of good technical people available. Obviously, you know, Finland is a mining nation. It has a lot of, uh, you know, good technical people. So, so yes, you know, things might cost a little bit more, but you get, you know, very highly qualified people in the mining space. And, and that's a, you know, you know, at the end of the day, that just means things that run more efficiently and you can push projects forward at a, at a better rate of knots. Um, you know, Sweden also has good people, but Norway less. I mean, so, so one of the issues we have, particularly in Norway, is actually training people up and and I guess when we get to the, you know, once you, you get to mining stage on projects, I mean, uh, you, you mentioned earlier on uh, about the authorities, but there's no miners left either, right? I mean, the, yeah. you know, the, yeah. if mining stopped in the mid 1980s, not many, they're, they're all retired, right? They're, you know, so um, so basically the, the reality is at least, at least in Finland, you've got a very deep pool of people you can draw on. You've got a lot of experience. Um, you know, Sweden, you've also got some good experience. Norway, less so. But there's, you know, but therein lies the opportunity for us to, to train people up as well, too. So, um, but anyway, step by step, I, I mean, Finland, Scandinavia in general is not cheap, but the good thing is that you can do things efficiently, effectively, 
because you have good people you can draw in to, to make the projects work. And you've got some shares in um, Ethos Gold. You've got 3 million shares in Ethos Gold. Will you be selling that um, over, you know, in a, in a responsible manner um, to co-fund? I mean, you've, you've just, I just saw um, you've raised, what, 1.2 through selling some equity. Um, potentially got another 0.75 coming through um, Ethos or, or thereabouts. You know, that's 2 million Canadian. Um, 5,000 metres of drilling, um, you know, that's not going to be, that's going to be a couple of two and a half million dollars, possibly. I, I'm just, just throwing some numbers out there. So, you know, the, you, you clearly got to do a lot of work in yeah. Finland in 12 months to get to, to get to the target areas before you convert a vast area into a more expensive um, band of license. So kind of funding is kind of now, now a question mark. Yeah, so uh, and that's a good question too. So, so if you look at Norway, for example, uh, Merlin, just uh, just to give you a, a ballpark figure, if you look at other projects in Norway, so so you know costs are probably not as high as you would think. So you know we've we've assumed, assuming you don't have any complications like helicopters or you know things that are very very expensive, if you can manage a program as you would anywhere else in the world, you're probably looking at about a million dollars US for about five thousand meters. So um, of course it gets very very expensive when you. Start start bringing in helicopters and all of this sort of stuff. And if you're in places that are very, very remote, um, you know, fortunately, both of our projects have very good locations. We're, we're close to highways. We're, you know, we're close to great infrastructure. So um, that makes life a lot easier. Now, of course, with the ethos shares, I mean, I mean, the way I sort of look at it was, um, you know, if those were my shares, would I sell them? I mean, would shareholders want us to sell them at this time? Or, or, or should we wait and see if we get a lift in the share price? Um, to be honest, I, I think if I look at a company like Ethos, they have some some great projects. Of course, there are also joint ventures in our Savant Lake Gold project in Canada, which we, you know, we obviously feel very uh, bullish on too. I think there's really great potential there for discovery. But of course, Ethos has a, a, a quite a large portfolio, and I think they also have a good chance of. Um, you know, doing well on the market. So, um, so, so, so I guess it's nice to have those in our back pocket. In a perfect world, we would wait to get that lift before we sold. But of course, um, you know, the other thing we need to weigh up, obviously, is is you know, what I am trying to avoid is going back to the market, do a raise. You know, we're only trading at uh, it's a fifteen million market cap, so that's fifteen one five, which I think is very cheap for the for the portfolio we have. So we're just just a little hesitant to go back to market at these very low levels to to do a raise. So so what we will try and do as a first priority is is you know sell those equitable securities uh, the marketable securities before we have to go back to the market for a raise. So uh, look, I'm a shareholder as well as well as all our fellow shareholders. So we, we, we are very conscious of the fact that dilution is not something that we would, you know, that it's obviously if we have other ways of raising the funds, uh, we would look at doing that. And, and of course, you know, it is quite a large portfolio at the moment too. And, and we'd obviously look at, uh, you know, specific, uh, I, we're not a project generator. We are sort of, we are a company that focuses on making our own discoveries. Uh, but of course, if, if, you know, somebody came in and said, oh, we'd like to pick up one of your projects in Canada or something. Well, sure. I mean, we, we happily look at that as well. So, um, so we have a number of options, but the idea is to, you know, let's liquidate assets, whether they be the securities. Um, let's see what else we can do that's clever before we have to go back to the market for a raise. I mean, as I say, 10 cents, there's not a lot of enthusiasm to, to go back for a big raise, obviously. No, no, indeed not. Well, um, Eric, thank you so much. I've, I've really got a much better understanding about the about your um, company and your prospects. I, um, I'm a geologist. I'm an exploration geologist. I, <laughs> I love the Norwegian portfolio. Um, I think that patch of ground in Finland is fantastic. Um, 
I, I, I would love to see you being able to hit it hard uh, in the next 12 months. I mean, that, that's really kind of what I'd like to see is, is you just going for it. Yeah, and that's certainly the plan there, Mel. And as you know, uh, just uh, and people who followed us over the years, they'll, they'll know that we've had good success over the years previously with Mariana Resources. Uh, before Mariana, I was with Extori Gold Mines, and of course, we had a high-grade discovery in Argentina. The key thing for us is to push projects forward and to focus on high grade. And, and that's sort of a business model that we've kept, um, you know, and, and, and of course, the only way you make discoveries is pushing these projects forward. So, so, you know, so obviously from our perspective, we would like to push them all as, as, as you know, as forward as quickly as we can. Uh, and 2022 will be a very busy year for us uh, in terms of pushing projects forward. So, uh, you know, discovery is key and that's, uh, and we need to get drill rigs turning. That's obviously number one as well, too. So. Yeah, great. Discovery is key. Absolutely. Value through the drill bit. Um, Eric, thank you very much for your time great. and um, for sharing your knowledge uh, with me. I look forward to uh, hearing more from you when the when the, those rigs are turning and the rocks are coming out. Yeah, that sounds good, Merlin. Look forward to it. So.